Thanks. Pull them off. Where we are in the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. And if you've been with us for a little while, you know we've been going through this for the last, really we started last year, January, and we started off in the Beatitudes. And now we're in January once again, but we're actually nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gives us these powerful descriptions of what life looks like when you come into contact with him, when you embrace him and his way. And at the end, he begins to outline three different uh, warnings, choices he's calling you to make. And in each case, only one of them is like the right choice. We are going to look at the second one of these three in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, and we're going to go all the way through to 23. So this is what it says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Father in heaven, we come to you. And we ask that you would help us make sense of this passage, that you would give us courage to hear what it is that your son is saying, and that we would be able to respond appropriately. We pray this in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. So I can appreciate this passage is not like the most exciting passage when you hear it, like, you're false prophets. What do you mean? Like, I never knew you. Uh, how does this uh, fit with even what we've heard Jesus talk about in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, which seems in many ways far more um, gentle, welcoming, nice. Now he seems kind of stark, kind of serious. Um, maybe not the picture of Jesus that you would ne- uh, uh, think of. The big idea for this morning is that a Christian leader who does not follow Jesus in their private life is not worth following. Christian leader who doesn't follow Jesus in their private life is not worth following. Jesus' key command here is beware of false prophets. Beware of them. And it's a strange phrase. If you didn't grow up in the church, you're like, prophets? False prophets? What does that even mean? And like I said, it's part of these three warnings that Jesus outlines. Last week's was on this, the narrow way. Choose between the narrow way and the wide way. Which one will you take? Here, Jesus is going to outline two types of trees. A tree that is healthy and bears good fruit. A tree that is sick or diseased and bears bad fruit. Next week, he's going to highlight what kind of foundation do you want to build on? What kind of foundation do you want to build your life on? Solid rock or sand? Only one house will remain. That's next week. So we have these images, two gates or two ways, two prophets, right, two trees, two houses. Each time there's only one choice. 
Jesus wants you to choose which kind of profit will influence you, to be mindful of that. And so one of the questions that comes up is like, well, what is a false prophet? Prophets were one of four major leaders in Israel, the other three being kings who represented God to the people, priests who represented the people to God, and the sage who observed reality, the reality of life for people. Prophets were appointed by God to communicate God's message to his people. So God would speak through prophets. And so a false prophet is one who stands between God and his people falsely and deceitfully. Jesus says, beware of them. Those who claim to be speaking for God, but haven't been appointed by him, and most importantly, fail to follow him. Now, sometimes when we think of false prophets, we actually have this idea of false teaching or heresy. And that might be part of the issue, but what Jesus is hitting on here is actually uh, far more about living obediently, about not following Jesus. Heresy, false teaching might be part of it, but what he's actually teaching here is this other part, of this lack of integrity. There's a difference between their public life and their private life. That's what's making them false in this situation as he talks about them. They are those who appear to be look good and righteous. Jesus calls them, they look like sheep, but they're really these ravenous wolves because they haven't, they look like they've chosen the narrow way and yet they haven't. And he says, watch out for them. If someone's claiming to be a follower of Jesus, to be teaching what he teaches, but doesn't follow Jesus, why would that even be an issue though? If you think about it, well, aren't they teaching what Jesus teaches? They're saying that they're a follower. Why would Jesus take, say it's such an issue that you need to watch out for these ones who aren't actually living it? Well, as I can think of when we look at this passage, I think that there's at least four reasons why Jesus would tell us to watch out for these types of leaders. The first reason is that they're only looking out for themselves. They're only looking out for themselves. Jesus calls them ravenous wolves. Ravenous just means extremely hungry. They're famished. Think of an animal or even young children who are starving. You know how they behave. They can't think about anything else but themselves and what they want in that moment. False Christian leaders are hungry for power, for position, and for pleasure. And they rely on exercising their gifts that they have to draw influence over others. They use others' people's service, their goodwills, and their resources for their own benefit. They do a job, but their moral life doesn't actually look any different than the rest of society. So if their hearts are not wholly dedicated to Jesus, to loving him and serving him, what makes us think that they would be able to love and serve other people? They won't. They willingly destroy other people's lives in order to gain for themselves. They're ravenous wolves. Second reason is because it's so easy to be deceived by spiritual gifts, by their giftings. Jesus references casting out demons, doing mighty works, and prophesying in his name. And each one of these are kind of like these extraordinary spiritual gifts. And it's so tempting to see these types of gifts as a validation for their leadership. Wow, this person's such a gifted communicator. That Wow, this person is such a great writer. They're so thoughtful and articulate. They have such a strategic mind. They're fantastic problem solvers. And Jesus is saying, it can be really tempting to see these types of gifts as the validation for their leadership and their character, and it's not. Jesus doesn't want us 
to take someone's gifting as a stamp of approval or as a threshold for being a true prophet, a true leader. Instead, he wants us to see the true measure to be this congruence between your private life and your public life. That privately you're just as committed to Jesus and his way as you say you are publicly. And these things can't really be discerned really quickly. They take time. So beware of them, he says. The third reason I think Jesus says this is because you become like those you follow. You become like the people you spend time learning from, watching, following, and imitating. And over time, you take on their traits, behaviors, and values. And sometimes it's really subtle. It doesn't happen really quickly. Those of you who are parents, you know how quickly your kids pick up your mannerisms. And even if you don't have kids and you see someone else, like maybe your nieces or nephews, or, you know, just your friend's kids, you see, you're like, oh, my gosh, they're like, they're like their mom and their dad. The way they, move, they talk with their hands, the way they express themselves, they just pick that up. Similarly, the people that we spend time with over time, we begin to take on those values, those traits, those behaviors. And false teachers will use things like they will manipulate, it, manipulate situations, words, and emotions to try to get their way. And we may not always notice that, but over time, we can actually take those types of things on. So Jesus says, beware of them. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, the apostle, writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And he, in the writer of Hebrews will similarly write, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And then, he, and then they write, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider where they end up, which means you actually got to like have known them for a little bit of time. You got to have to observe them, see where they end up. And if you want to become like Jesus, get around people who truly love him and obey him. False prophets don't really love God. They claim to and they pretend to, but in reality, they love themselves more than they love God. And so they don't obey. And the fourth reason, I think, is because true repentance leads to discipleship. True repentance leads to this real change in your life. True repentance leads to obedience. And what Jesus is getting at is that these false prophets have not truly repented. They're not actually obeying and following Jesus. That repentance hasn't taken place. That turning around and trusting him and embracing his way hasn't actually happened You can't lead other people in the way of Jesus without first following Jesus yourself. What Jesus is getting at is that a true leader will first be a follower of Jesus. The leaders that he's looking after, he's looking for, are these who will first follow him. They understand that before they're a leader, they're actually a follower. Those who who try to live like this, as these false prophets, they completely misunderstood his message. They've claimed Jesus, but they're rejecting his way. They've chosen to publicly take on the way of Jesus, but privately, they're actually living more in this way of the world. They're taking a wide path. Peter Schizero, he highlights this difference between these two ways of the way of Jesus and the way of the world. And he says that on one end, the end goal will be to be popular, to be great, to be successful, to avoid suffering and failure. But Jesus is saying to make your end goal to be popular with me, to be great with me, to be a success with me, to embrace suffering and failure as it comes with 
me. There's this total shift there. It's a difference. The reason Jesus is going to use these examples of casting out demons, of prophesying, of performing mighty works in his name is not because he's against those things. Elsewhere, you'll, you'll see that Paul talks about these spiritual gifts. You'll see that Paul himself has these gifts. The reason Jesus highlights them is because they are focused on the spectacular. They're focused on the spectacular, but they fail to do the will of God in the ordinary things of life. And when you think about the Sermon on the Mount, and you read what the types of things Jesus is describing, think with me. If you've been with us or if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about reconciliation. Turning your contempt for someone else into uh, this pathway where you actually reconcile with them. He talks about marriage, about being this, this covenant that you commit to one another, about being honest people, about being motivated by an audience of one, not trying to uh, build up your image. He talks about when you pray, you're not thinking about how everyone else hears you so that you sound intelligent or smart or mature. You're actually talking to your Heavenly Father. He talks about holding your possessions with an open hand. When does Jesus ever talk about these mighty works or casting out demons? In the Sermon on the Mount, you never hear that. That's why Jesus is saying to these people, look, I didn't know you. You didn't do the will of God. You didn't obey me. These things in and of themselves aren't bad, but you're missing the point. The type of people I want, the type of people who enter into the kingdom are people who first turned around from their own ways and are embracing my way. They've embraced me and my way. He wants people who do the will of God in those ordinary things of life like forgiveness, like praying for those who wrong you. Sometimes it's like they just cut you off and you gotta bless them. I had a friend who we used to carpool together and um, I would get upset with people who would not be driving fast or um, would cut me off or whatever and I, in my heart, would struggle. So I'd verbally say, Father, I bless them in your name. And my friend would be like, you know you have to mean that, right? And, and, I, and I would be like, you know what? I'm leading my heart in that direction. I'm leading myself there. I'm not 100% there yet. But this is the type of thing that Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to live out our faith in the everyday. Not just these spectacular things that people see, but in the private when no one is really watching. How will you live? He wants leaders and followers who will put into practice what he teaches. Love him. Love people. This is why Eugene Peterson, he paraphrases our passage like this. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off somewhere or other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main things, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees, with their bad apples, are going to be chopped down and burned. So Jesus is saying, watch out. Watch out for these false teachers, these false prophets. And that brings us to these two illustrations that Jesus uses to help us discern how you're going to know. The first illustration he uses is a tree and its fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. These Christian leaders, they don't follow Jesus, and so they're diseased. They're like these decaying trees. 
They are unhealthy. And so the fruit they produce is diseased and unhealthy fruit. They're sick because they've not embraced Jesus in his way. Yet they're claiming to. So instead of flourishing around them, in and around them, you'll see floundering. Instead of seeing signs of new life, of healing, of forgiveness, of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, you're going to see over time, idolatry, strife, jealousy, division, drunkenness, envy, rivalry, fits of anger, sensuality, sexual immorality. The fruit is the outcome of the way of life you choose. So consider their way of life. You'll know them by their fruit. The second illustration he uses is this image of actually standing before Jesus on judgment day. You'll know them by whether or not they do the will of my Father. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, he says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, then we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name. And I'm going to declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus says it's not enough to claim to be my follower with your words. It's not enough to prophesy or cast demons out or prophesy or, uh, or do mighty works. You must do the will of my Father. And when you hear this, you, there's a part of you that might actually be saying, but Alex, this sounds like a lot like being saved by our works. This sounds a lot like us being saved by what we do. And I'd say, look, the gospel declares that salvation is a gift. It's a gift that you receive when you put your trust in Jesus. We're saved through faith. God does not expect good works in order to be saved, but there are, it is a necessary consequence of being saved. You're not just saved from sin, you're saved into discipleship, which means there's this relationship that you live in with him where you trust him and he leads you. Salvation comes through faith in him, but Jesus is saying, look, at the end of your life, we're all going to stand before him, and one of the things he's going to look at is whether or not we actually obeyed him, whether or not we actually trusted him, whether or not we actually followed him. Not just did we make this verbal profession of faith, but did your life actually show a change? Was it actually different? And the thing about works from our perspective is that it's hard to discern motives. You could do really nice things, really generous things, but you could be completely motivated by building a name for yourself, by looking like you're generous. That's why Jesus hits on these people who like to pray on the corner, he says, so that they can be seen in a certain way, so that they could be seen praying. He's highlighting this hypocrisy. That's the only other time in the Sermon on the Mount where you see Jesus says, beware. Beware of the hypocrites. Beware of false teachers. The thing that ties these two illustrations together is this theme of eventuality. You may not be able to tell it right away. You may not be able to tell immediately. You might not be able to discern just from looking at them because they look like sheep. They do mighty works in Jesus' name. But eventually, they will be known, Jesus is saying. You'll see it in the outcome of their lives. They may deceive people, including themselves, like we see in this example, for months or years. But eventually, they will be known in this life or 
and the next on that day of judgment. And when Jesus brings his kingdom into fullness, they and all of us will stand before him and will be held to account for our own lives. There's this one author, he writes, look, deceit finds its way into every religion, including Christianity. And Jesus is saying, you don't get away with it. You could pretend, you could come here and act like your life is all good, like you love Jesus and you love people, and you can fool everyone. But Jesus is saying, you won't get away with it. You won't get away with it. Maybe you could get away for, for, for a few months, maybe a few years. But if you've been following Jesus long enough, you know that there are people, other leaders, who eventually are exposed. It might be right before they die. It might be after they die. It might be a few years later. But it comes out, and there's a reckoning that happens. And we have to recognize that. Jesus knew these false teachers, these false prophets would come, and so he warns us to watch out for them. He warns us all to choose who we will follow. He warns us to choose to live honestly, not deceitfully. He's saying, I see it, I know it. And if you choose to take this path, you are doing the very opposite of what I teach. You will never know me. And the Bible, when it talks about knowing, it's not just like this cognitive, like, I know, I understand it. It's actually something deeper, far more intimate. It refers to this relationship. And when it comes to God, being in this special relationship with God and his people, you'll never have a relationship with me if you don't actually follow through with your commitment to obey me, to be with me, to become like me, to do what I call you to do. So in this context, what Jesus is saying is, is kind of like this. He, he'll come up to you and say, hey, I want you to rebuild this house from the ground up. In fact, the foundation is faulty, so we need to start there. We need to start again. We, and what we'll do is once we've rebuilt it, we'll include some windows to let in more light. We'll insulate it better so that it's warmer, warmer in the winter. We'll make sure that all of the walls are secure so that in the fall, you stay dry in there. Later on, we'll also expand the back and create a larger patio so that there's more room for others to rest and enjoy it. But first, we need to start again. So we're going to start with the foundation. You start, and I'll be back shortly. But instead of enjoy, uh, obeying Jesus, what you do is you go and say, hmm, I'm going to get started on selling those windows. I think that'll look really nice. I'm going to work on that back patio. I'm going to repaint the exterior and the interior. It's going to look great, and I'll do that for Jesus. So you do all that, and then you're done. And you're standing there pretty proud, and you cannot imagine that he won't be pleased. Jesus comes back, and he's like, what the? What have you done? And you say, what do you mean, what have I done? I added in new windows. I put in the patio. I even painted it. Look how nice it looks. How look great. Isn't it great? It's so much more welcoming. I did this for you. And Jesus will say, you don't get me. You don't understand. We're not doing a refresh. I came to rescue and restore this place. You prioritize the wrong things. It might look good, but it's not actually good. The foundation is still broken. We never addressed that. 
more light comes in, but the leaky roof is not fixed. The insulation is still poor. I'm building something that is good and will last. And you've done the opposite. You've built something that is neither good nor will it last. I can't work with you because you refuse to do what I've asked you to do. I can't let you, into, let you enter into this place because you're not actually fit to live here. I don't know you because you've been unwilling to even trust me. And trust is the basis of a relationship. And so see, while Jesus was speaking of these false prophets here, anyone who chooses to live rooted in deceiving others for their own benefit, it chooses to look like a follower in public while privately ignoring his life, his commands, is facing a similar outcome. And that's what makes this so heavy. You know, it starts off saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus is saying, you have to choose me and enter into this. You need to turn around. And now he's saying, look, if you want that life that I described, you have to do that. The end outcome, if you don't, isn't good. So make a choice. Which prophet will you attach yourself to? So what can we do here? I would say three things. One is you need to attach yourself to Jesus. Jesus is the true prophet, the one who enables you to bear good fruit. In John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you were here last week, we read from Psalm 1. And in Psalm 1, verse 3, it says, That person who chooses to abide in Jesus, to meditate on the types of things that he teaches, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. You bear fruit in season. It doesn't mean you bear fruit every single day of your life. It doesn't mean you bear fruit every month. In the right season, because you abide in Jesus year-round, that stream of living water, you are connected to it. And at the right time, you will bear fruit in the right season. There are seasons that are drier, that are harder, more challenging, but because you're attached to the vine, you never go dry. When you attach yourself to him, it is his life, his vitality, that reinvigorates your life and sustains you. You cannot bear good fruit without first attaching yourself to him. His mighty power enables you to do good and bear good fruit. Secondly, you need to do the will of the Father. And so the question that might have come up even as you first heard it is like, what is the will? That seems kind of generic. I'd offer just two things. One is John 6, verse 40 says, this is Jesus, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks on to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The Father's will is that you would actually put your trust in Jesus, 
that you would see him and embrace him as his way. And in our context, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's what Jesus teaches us to do. It's what Jesus calls us to do. Practicing what he teaches is doing the Father's will. Do what he's been teaching us all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You need to do the will of the Father and believe in him and his Son and obey him. Because if you only attach yourself to Jesus, but you don't actually obey him, this is just a form of like hyper-spirituality. Oh, I, I want Jesus. I want his blessings, his, all the benefits that come with being in relationship with him. I actually don't want to obey him. There's no discipleship there. That's not the life Jesus calls you to. Jesus says, come and follow me. He doesn't say, just come and enjoy everything I have to offer. It'll cost you nothing. In fact, he says, if you want to be a follower of me later on, he'll say, pick up your cross and follow me. There is a cost. True repentance leads you to obey what Jesus commands. And so you need to attach yourself to him, and you need to do what he teaches, which is the will of the Father. You need both. The third thing is look for leaders whose character is consistent with the teachings of Jesus. The measuring stick that Jesus uses for Christians, Christian leaders, is not simply saying, yeah, Jesus is Lord, or someone who's highly gifted. He's using something completely different. His measure is a life that's been changed because they've repented and continue to repent. They live as if Jesus is king, Lord of their life, and they actually believe that he knows what is best, that he truly is the smartest being in all of the universe, that there's this visible love for God and for others, and there's this willingness to lay down their personal ambitions, demands, and to serve others. These are good trees, Jesus says, because they're doing the will of my Father. Now, why did I do it in this order? If Jesus is talking about beware of false prophets, why would I then talk about you needing to attach yourself, you needing to do the will? The reason I did it in this order is because in order to discern what a false prophet looks like, you need to know what a true one looks like. And Jesus is the true and lasting prophet. He is the one who conveys what God is saying to his people because he himself is God the Son. Jesus is everything God wanted to say to humanity in a person. I did it in this order because in order for you to discover that tree of life that is spoken of in Revelation 22, the one that has leaves that bring healing, in order for you to discover that healing for you in all the nations, in order for you to experience this fruit that is abundant and full this abundant life, this fullness of life, this resurrection life. You have to see him first. In order, I did it in this order, because you need to know what the will of God is and actually be trying to obey him. If you're going to be able to watch out for false prophets, teachers, preachers, Christian leaders, believing in Jesus and practicing what he preaches is the will of the Father. And I did it in this order, because in order for you to actually discover that tree of life, experience the fruit that comes from it, you have to see that Jesus went to another tree first. 
It wasn't one that actually led to life for him. It was a wooden cross. And on that wooden cross, Jesus, the king who represents God to the people, the prophet who speaks God's word to the people, the priest who represents the people to God, the sage who represented and and made sense of life, all are on the cross there. And God's word, God's word is not condemnation on the cross. It's actually, Father, forgive them. When Jesus is on the cross, the fruit that comes from that place is forgiveness for you and I. See, Jesus warns here, but you need to see that he is for forgiveness and reconciliation. And there is this call to see him and attach yourself to him, to do what he calls us to do. And this is not easy. And this doesn't mean we're, we're called to be perfect in every single way, because we can't. And he understands that. That's why he doesn't call us when our life is all together when we are perfectly obeying. He also doesn't abandon us when we fail to obey. But there's a big difference between failing to obey and intentionally deceiving people. Those are different things. So I don't want you to feel like you hear this and you're like, I don't even know if, if I'm in relationship with Jesus anymore. Like, that, that, that's not what is going on here. What Jesus is saying, though, is that there needs to be this integrity between the way that we live privately and the way that we live publicly. And that especially matters for leaders. Father in heaven, we come before you right now. And we confess that this passage is challenging and hard. But you tell us that if we are tired burnt out on religion that we can come to you and we can learn from you. We can learn what you say are the unforced rhythms of life. We can take on your yoke which you say is easy and your burden you say is light. And so, Jesus, we don't want to take on anything else but what it is that you would have for us so that we might experience the fullness of life that you came to give. And we confess that many times we struggle to trust you, to obey you, to even remember you. And right now, we want to ask for your forgiveness. We also, Lord, ask that you'd help us not to be people who pretend, who deceive others, but who are real, Lord, even when we're not doing great. And we thank you that because of your cross, because you went to the cross, the word that you want to speak to us is forgiveness, is an invitation to life with you, to start again. And so, Lord, we see that you are willing to take our sin and our shame over our failures. And because of that, Lord, we want to be people who really do live openly and honestly. So right now, Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you would search us and try us, know our thoughts,
See if there be any grievous thing in our hearts. And then we ask, Lord, you would lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us in your way, Lord Jesus. Take us by hand. We pray this in your name. Amen.